Hi, I'm Libby. And I'm Farron. And this is the tip of the iceberg. Ugh, my eyes are already prickly. Great news. This is so exciting. We just started it. We just started it. Every time we record these, we spend like three minutes trying to decide how we start it, and I'm just We don't want to sound lame. So I just started it while we were talking about how to start it. You just... Great news! Great news! But there, there actually is great news. Oh. It's not a joke. It's very real. This is an extremely exciting podcast, and a tip of the iceberg history maker. Yes. First time ever. First time ever. Should we, should we like, have people guess or what it is? Yeah, give, give yourselves a minute to guess. What could it be? What could it be? Fan will sing you a little theme song while you think. Baby shark. Do, 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 do. Baby, Baby shark. Do, 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 do. Okay, time's up. I don't know if you got Any it guesses? or guesses? Silence. I don't think anyone participated. It's really disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not consensual. No, oh, you ruined it. You were supposed to say quiet. Shh. Well, now that it's ruined. She gave it away. Gosh. This is our first guest speaker on the tip of the iceberg in tip of the iceberg history. And studio. It's For the first time. Ever. You don't have to listen to me and Livy. Which is a relief, I know. I know. Mm -hmm. I am relieved. And I am part of this. (laughs) I am too. (laughs) Yeah. But it's exciting because it's not just a guest speaker. It's actually... A survivor story. Yes. And someone who is very close to both of our hearts. That's true. We love so much our amazing shelter manager, Brittany. That's right. Who came to us a couple of years ago to work at SAFE, to interview for a job at SAFE. And she was an AmeriCorps for the coalition. Um, She's a social worker. She's so rad. Mm -hmm. So great. And we love her so much. She actually has excellent style. As yeah. Well. She's the funniest this? person I know. Literally, actually. I'm not kidding you. Like, I'm sorry that you guys don't work with her because you don't laugh at I'm her. I'm just saying you guys are in for a treat. Yep. When I said great news, I meant great news. It's great news. I'm really excited. It is terrific. So, we bought, brought Brittany in today because once we started this podcast, Brittany, from the very beginning... Well, it's also fair to note that we credit Brittany as our executive producer. Yes, we do, because she names all of our podcasts. She helps us come up with the names. Because she's funny. She's very funny, and she's very smart. And at the very beginning, she helped us come up with a name for the actual podcast. Yeah. And since day one, she's been, like, very supportive and also so willing to share her story. And she has a doozy of one, so we are really happy that you're sharing. Yeah. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you can talk now. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the surprise is over. <laughs> you already ruined it. You already ruined it, Brittany. <laughs> so I think we should just start out um, by saying, first off, share only what you're comfortable with, of course. And maybe just give us um, a look into what your relationship was like and share your story. Okay. And um, we know a little bit, Libby That's and right. I do, but we don't know all of the details about Brittany's story. And so mm-hmm. we will probably, there will ask be questions. periods where we will ask her questions or express outrage and um, being, and maybe upset, be upset because we love Brittany so much um, and this I'm is going to piss me off. In perfect control of my emotions. Um, I am not. 
so I think we'll be fine. Okay, great. We'll balance each other out. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Go on, Brittany. So it's now, your turn. Now it's my turn. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> this is, I feel like this has been a long time coming for me because I went through this experience, um, which lasted a, a few years, but it happened a bunch of years ago. And it's the whole reason why I am really passionate about domestic violence and sexual assault work. And I mean, it was, it's really been a journey for me. And so to be able to be here and to speak my story and my truth about this in a public way is really a big deal for me. Ugh, my eyes are already prickly. This is going to be... I thought you were in control of your emotions, Libby. <clears throat> I'm in control of me not responding to that. Harsh, <laughs> harsh critical comment. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brittany. Go okay. ahead. Can you you guys, the tissues? You guys oh. are the ones in control. <laughs> Whoa. In a non-abusive no, way. You're in control. This is your oh, podcast. Pretty. This is ready. your... All right. I'm just saying I'm going to get emotional. We're so sorry. The control is scary. Okay. Well, I met... Um, so let me just first say that I'm going to be using a fake name for this for this guy. Yeah. Um, this all happened in California. Um, it started in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is originally where I'm from, and then... Most of the really bad stuff happened farther south in California, and um, and then a few years later, I ended up here in Wyoming, um, completely unrelated to what happened there. Um, but so most of all of these people involved are in California, but um, I wanted to use a fake name anyways. So I met Stephen. Um, it was pretty much New Year's of 2009 and I have to preface this by saying that I was a very different person back then with different expectations or standards Mm -hmm. of what I look for in a partner yeah (laughs) um and I wasn't actually necessarily looking for a long-term relationship at that time I was 20 years old. I'd never really been in a relationship before. I wasn't at any place in my own life um, to really think about settling down. Um, and so I was moving back to the Bay Area from going to community college in Lake Tahoe. And I was looking to see who wanted to hang out on Craigslist, which is a thing in the Bay Area. You're already looking at me. No, funny. I know what Craigslist yeah. is. <laughs> okay. Um, we have that here. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's real. Yeah, it's just it's a huge thing in California, and people find friends on Craigslist. Yeah, people find friends. That's cool. Um, and so I found this posting for a person, posted by a person who was looking for somebody to hang out with, and he sounded really sweet and. Um, like he was starting a new chapter in his life. And I think he had maybe posted a picture and he looked really cute. And so I responded and we started talking and then ended up meeting up in Oakland. And pretty much that first day, I learned a lot more about him. Some things that, you know, now would definitely cause me to think twice about dating somebody with his kind of history. Um, but back then, like I said, I didn't really think that this would turn into anything long-term. I thought he would just be somebody to hang out with and spend my time with. Um, but it obviously turned into more than that. Um, that day I found out that 
he, or maybe I'd even known this before I met up with mm-hmm. him, um, that he was in the Salvation Army rehabilitation program as part of his parole or probation or something because he had a substance abuse issue. And he had, I think he told me that first day that he had seven felony convictions on his record. For what? Sorry. Um, What he told me was for, um, like, drug paraphernalia, I think, like, to do with meth Related to substance abuse. Right. But, of course, none of it was his. He was just holding it for For his friend. friend. Yeah. Sure, I hold meth pipes for my friends. Right? It's something any friend would do. Don't share our secrets. All right. Sorry. (laughs) Go ahead, Brittany. Um, And then he also... I'm not sure if I found this out that day or if it was later, but he later told me that he had also had some felony convictions for white-collar crimes, like identity theft, Mm -hmm. and he had at some point apparently even cloned or stolen the sheriff's department's credit or debit card or something, and so he was basically stealing money from the sheriff's department. Yeah, it does. And got caught. Oh. Wow, that's a story within itself. Yeah. Jeez. Um, I did recently try to look up his conviction record in that county, and all it shows me is that he has several felony and plus a misdemeanor conviction. It doesn't tell me what for. So mm. I don't actually know what he has on his record from that. Well, it's important we value his privacy, so. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so... Quickly, our, I don't know, our relationship turned into more than just hanging out. I think he even met my parents that same day. He wow. was He was just very, like, for the first time, I felt like somebody was actually paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, was he your first boyfriend? Yeah, he was my first real boyfriend. I mean, I'd had a boyfriend for, like, two weeks in middle school. But yeah, but I this don't was, really, like, a, the real yeah. thing. A different... Yeah. Yeah. So he was my first real boyfriend. Um, he was the first person, besides a family member, who ever told me that they loved me, that they were in love with me. Um, he was the first guy that I ever told that I loved, um, and that happened within the first month or two. Mm-hmm. And then within the first two months, we moved into we moved in together. But it wasn't like something that we talked about. That was like, yeah, we want to live together. It was like, he was, there was pressure for us to, for him to move in with me because of his own economic situation. Oh, so he couldn't like afford. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause he was living in like a, after the Salvation Army program, he graduated, it's quotation marks in the air. Um, he moved into a sober living home and that place was really gross. Like it was not the best living conditions. And that put pressure on, he was just kind of subtly putting pressure on me to have him move in. So that happened. So how long until since you were dating? So you started dating and then you moved in. What's the time space there? I think we moved in in month two. Okay, gotcha. Because we started dating like, it was like the first or, I don't know, it was the first week of January. And then it was in February that we moved in together. So, I don't know. He was just very, he was very good looking. He dressed very clean cut and acted really appropriate and respectful of my parents. 
he had a lot of dreams and goals about, you know, what he wanted to do with his life. And he had a daughter with, um, I mean, I guess they were technically still married, but he called her his ex-wife basically. Um, and they lived down South in California. And so he, his, he had his priorities, you know, and that I really liked that, that his daughter and his family came first and that he was respectful of his parents and my parents and that he had these goals in his mind of things that he wanted to do. And he also seemed to really care about me. Yeah. Is there anything else like specific that you wanted to know about like that? I don't know. The Mm -hmm. first six months. Well, so I'm curious, how long were you with him before you began to feel like you were in too deep or that it was scary scary right and you were anytime during this period or maybe it hasn't happened yet it hasn't maybe happened yet or yeah I think that the first time for me was because he had been talking a lot about how he needed to be down south with his daughter and his family and all that stuff. And that those were priorities for him. And I really liked that about him. And so that's, I think, one of the reasons why I felt safe getting to know him and being with him was mm-hmm. because I think in my mind, I didn't really think that it was going to go anywhere ultimately. Oh, sure. And so then when he was really starting to talk about, like, I need to go you know, down South and be with my daughter. And he was talking about it a lot more. And he finally was like, I, you know, I need to do this for me. And I understand if you don't want to move with me, like if that's, if that's going to be it. And at that point, cause this was like four or five months into our relationship, Mm -hmm. I was not going to move with him. Like, that, to me, that was going to be the end of our relationship. Sure. And I was sad about it, and I knew that that was okay, that, like, I don't know, at that point, I didn't feel like he was the love of my life and that I was never going to love anybody else. Right, right. Um, I didn't feel like I was in too deep and that I couldn't get out of it. Um, everything was great, you know? Like, there wasn't anything in my mind that really had been a problem for me. Um, and so when I told him that, you know, okay, that's, I guess that's going to be the end of our relationship and that really sucks, but I am not, you know, that's not what I need to do for my life. Right. He got very upset. Oh. And that's, that for me was the first time that I think I had kind of a warning in my mind because I felt like it was very manipulative for him to say, well, it's okay, you know, I understand if you aren't going to come with me, but then to totally act completely differently when I actually tell him that I'm not going with him. You're like, something's off here. Yeah, something was off. But then I also felt like, on the other hand, wow, he actually really does care about Mm me, and this is really important to him, and maybe this is what I need to do for myself. And so he basically convinced me to move with him to... Southern, I guess it's really like Southern Central California. It was like four hours south. Oh, when you say down south, you went down south in California. Yeah. I was thinking like Georgia, and I'm like, wow, I did oh, not sorry. hear this part of the story before. I mean, it is called the Texas of California. Okay, so who led you to move to the Texas of California? Or okay. the armpit of California. Oh, okay. <laughs> that clarifies it. Good. Yeah. 
Okay, I got you. Down south. We're on the same page. Yeah. So it was, I mean, I moved away from everything that I'd ever known for my entire life. I had never lived anywhere besides the Bay Area. Um, And he took me to a place where I literally knew nobody but him and his family and his friends. So I was, it was a really scary time for me. And it was a huge commitment for me to be making. And so I think at that point, I felt, I started to feel like, I was more stuck in the relationship. Like, it's harder to turn back now that you've moved. You're kind of all in at this point. Yeah. And it's also embarrassing at that point, too, to tell people that you made the wrong decision. So. Yeah, I can totally see that. And funny enough, it wasn't actually until we moved there and that he'd basically geographically alienated me from Mm -hmm. all my social support that he started to become really what I saw as and kind of identified at that time as being really emotionally, verbally abusive. Yeah. Well, that kind of makes sense, too, based on what we know about domestic violence is like or intimate partner violence is once like he's got you hooked and then he can start being a jerk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he was nothing but sweet and... You know, there was nothing that kind of raised red flags for me, really, before the whole moving thing. But then after that, he definitely was calling me. Like, he he started getting really, really jealous. Like, if I was talking to another guy, even as a friend, even though this guy lived four hours away, Mm -hmm. he was calling me a whore. He was accusing me of cheating on him. Um... It was, it just, you know, kind of started, I think, within two weeks, really, of us moving. Wow. What was it like to be, uh, to think about, so you're moving, you're like, this is going to be great, this is a new chapter of my life, where in, like, I don't know if you felt like you loved him at this point. Yeah, I was in love with him. Yeah, so we're in love, this is going to be wonderful. So those first two weeks, all of a sudden things started shifting. What did that feel like? I mean, it made me wonder, like, who this person really was. Yeah. Like, he had never acted like that with me before. And at the same time, though, like, there was this confusion in me, like, wait a minute. I don't feel like I deserve to be treated like that. But at the same time, oh, he must really care about being with Mm -hmm. me because he's so jealous. Like, he's obviously really upset about this. So it was... It was confusing to me because, like I said, this was my first relationship. I never got really any education on what a healthy relationship yeah. is um, from my parents nor from school or anything. And none of my friends and I had ever talked about relationships. So right. this was my first experience other than Twilight. <laughs> oh, Twilight. <laughs> Ugh. Oh. We, we, we love Twilight. Yep. I loved it, too. <laughs> Before I became an advocate. Me, too. I read all the books during Christmas break when I, I was did, in college. Um, I did, too, when I was in. Yeah, and I thought it was great. In college. Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. Now, being an advocate has yeah. ruined a lot of... It changes you. You're like, oh. Media for me. Yikes. You're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing things here. Yeah. So, did you feel like your relationship was kind of like the Twilight relationship, or, or was it different? Um, yeah, so the, there was a lot of, it was a roller coaster because there was a lot of really amazing ups and highs in Mm -hmm. our relationship. 
And, and this was after we moved. Like I felt like before we moved, before the whole moving thing came up, it was just all up and great. And like, that was the most intoxicating honeymoon phase I've ever felt even since then really. And then after we moved, it was like this roller coaster ride where it would just be really awful, like verbally, emotionally and psychologically. And then, you know, I would be, I would stand up for myself sometimes and I'd be like, I'm, I'm going to fight back a little bit, you know, with my words or whatever. And he would back off and then it would just be amazing for however many days or weeks. And I just went like that all summer long because we had moved in May, I think. So ups and downs and ups and downs and ups yeah. and downs, but really high ups. Yeah. And so far, just like fight when it did get nasty, it was fighting. Yeah, it was just, well, verbal, right? There wasn't. <sighs> really, what happened was, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I can call it fighting because I wouldn't really fight back. Like, I would just kind of be stunned mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. of the time because I don't, <laughs> the only people at this point that I know how to have a fight with are my family members. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't know how, how I am in a relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I loved him so much and respected him so much that I was, and like, this was kind of out of the ordinary for me and out of character for him, it seemed like that I just like kind of soaked all of it in. Right. And so usually what would happen was I would get, I would get really quiet and I would just be upset and just be like, that's that wasn't okay or can you please not call me that or whatever and he would have his excuses and then we'd be what were his excuses that he just loves me so much that um he's been oh yeah this was it he's been cheated on before Mm. and he is just so afraid of being cheated on again because i think and i'm not sure when he told me this but at one point he did tell me that the one time he had ever been... You guys got to remember this because we're going to come back to this later. Okay. <laughs> the only okay. time he had ever been physical with any other girlfriend or wife or whatever was when she had accused him of cheating on her and she had shoved him against the wall and then he had, like, restrained her or something. So he's like, that's the only time I'd ever put my hands on, on another woman. How did that come up in conversation? I think he would use that as like, and like, look how restrained I am. Mm. You know, like this other, like this woman came at me and all I did was like hold her against the wall so that she couldn't attack me. Interesting. Okay. So like, I never, I don't even think I ever really asked him about that. He just like would bring it up. Like, that's what I think is weird. How great he is. (laughs) Do you think that's weird? Yeah, I do. That he would just volunteer that information about his physical aggression? I mean, he was lying. Well, um, yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, but I'm trying to remember hmm. where that came so, up from. Interesting. Um, but yeah, he would talk about his exes and how he'd been cheated on before. I mean, I don't know if... I highly recommend the the book, Why Does He Do That? Because basically all those excuses that mm-hmm. we make for abusers as well as what they make for themselves is all the stuff that he did for himself as well as things that I excused for him. So he was pretty textbook. He was... Oh, my gosh. He was not original. 
at all. I like to tell clients that they all think that they're original and creative and how they're not. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that too. For all they're super good at being abusive, they all stick to the same tactics. Yep. Very rarely does something like surprise me. Though. It all fits in that power and control yeah. wheel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he, he really blamed a lot of his um, verbal and emotional abuse on how he was treated sure. in the past. Which, as we know from the myths episode, <laughs> our most avid listener right here, <laughs> is not a good excuse. No. Um, so there was that. So the whole summer, it was pretty bad, but there was definitely good times. Like there was a lot of things that I, you know, have fond memories of, and it's it's kind of confusing because looking back on such a painful period Mm -hmm. of my life it was mixed with a lot of really fun times and a lot of those times were had because of Steven you know because he was a very outgoing fun funny guy and he was incredibly smart and he was attractive and all this other stuff so he was very magnetic I mean he already admitted basically to being a con man And he definitely conned me, even though I saw these other sides of him. Um, So that whole summer went by. He, I guess I should preface this next part by saying he's been sober the entire time. And that was the reason why he was in the Salvation Army Rehabilitation Program was due to needing to be sober because of his previous run-ins with law enforcement. And so he hadn't touched alcohol or anything that entire time that I'd been with him. Um, we went on a vacation to the beach, and all of a sudden, he had a beer in his hand. And, like, this wasn't anything that we had talked about. And I remember my sister, who, you know, has made the decision for herself not to drink alcohol. Like, she totally freaked out about the fact that he was suddenly drinking after having been sober for like nine or 10 months. And I was, and I didn't understand why it was a big deal. I just felt like maybe he should have talked to me about it before doing this. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like it was a big decision that he made by himself, like split second. Um, I think my sister kind of realized, you know, that it was a bigger deal, but he, he was like totally blowing off the whole thing. Like it's not a big deal. I'm not an alcoholic. Um, this didn't contribute at all to anything that happened before, blah, blah, blah. Um, that night, it was a lot of drama. And that was the first night that he cheated on me, actually. And that was, like, really, I think, in my mind, where I kind of mark the the real downfall of not downfall, but obviously him being abusive was the downfall of our relationship, but when things took a turn, (laughs) yeah, it was when things took a turn for me that I was like, this is a boundary Mm -hmm. for me. Like the other stuff was, I mean, now they're boundaries for me, (laughs) but back then I didn't really have any boundaries until he crossed that line with cheating on me. And that was the first time really that I can I mean I think he had done this before as far as making me 
feel like I couldn't trust my memory with things that he had said. Like, oh, I didn't call you a whore, things like that. But this was the first time where it really seemed to matter to me that he... Because I saw with my own eyes something happen between him and somebody else. And he tried to convince me that I could not believe my own eyes. Mm. And since this was something that I had just woken up in the morning and I was still kind of, I still had my sleep eyes or whatever. Yeah. And when, I mean, even, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists say that you can't necessarily (laughs) trust like what you see when you're in those in between sleeping and waking. Yeah. Um, but I still to, to this day know what I saw and, and I think in that moment, I also knew what I saw and he just straight up told me that I did not see what I thought I had seen. And you saw him cheating on you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw him in a position to where it was obvious to me that he had done something that was cheating on me. I gotcha. Um, and... So that was the first time for me that I was like, okay, he's telling me that I cannot trust my own eyes. Like, I literally saw this with my own eyes. But I wanted to believe him. And so I, I lied to myself. Like, I actively lied to myself about that. Um, so that was the first time he drank. And I excused a lot of his behavior with his drinking even though a lot of it happened when he wasn't drinking Mm -hmm. the worst of it would happen when he was drinking um then it wasn't really until i think it was the following march so a few months go by and then he hit me for the first time so it wasn't until we'd been together for more than a year that he actually laid hands on me. And it was like a really weird, like it, I don't know. It was what caused, like, something. what was the, what prompted him to do that? Do you remember? Um, we were, we were camping and we were setting up a tent. And I remember it being a struggle to set up a tent. It was probably because it's windy, because it's always windy in that area. And, and I think this tent was a tent we did not know how to set up. So it was a frustrating tent situation. Yeah. And I was kind of daydreaming a lot. I mean, even right now, I'm still, like, making excuses for, you know, like, what I did to cause him to hit me. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't really, like, paying much attention to him. And he... Um, was frustrated with the whole tent, probably with me. I don't know. He slapped me in the face. And I just remember being totally stunned. Because it wasn't like we were fighting or anything. Hmm. Kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. He'd never hit me before. Um, and I just... We just kind of looked at each other. Like, he looked, honestly, I just remember him looking as stunned as I was. And he also kind of looked embarrassed. Like, I remember thinking, he's embarrassed by this. I should not bring this up. Like, I don't need to make this worse Mm -hmm. by talking about it because he looks embarrassed. 
And, like, he was also surprised by it. And so I just shook it off, and we finished putting up the tent. But then after that, he... I remember he would just start, like, slapping me in the face for, like, little things. And then eventually... And I can't even remember, like, the first time that he really got, like, really violent. Um, But, I mean, it all started after that first incident in, I think it was March. Mm -hmm. And then that summer we got Louie, my little Lulu, who's our office dog. Our office pet. (laughs) Yeah. She's in all of our pictures that we take as a staff because she's part of our team. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that, that was the summer of 2010, and I think we had, and so far we had actually been living mostly since we had moved with other people, and I think that that kind of helped a little bit <clears throat> to not have it be as violent. Did you ever do any of this stuff in front of other people, like maybe your roommates or somebody else? No. Well, because part of it, too, was that we were living with his family. Mm. Um. So he, and he was very careful the entire relationship to not do anything to me physically in front of other people. But there was occasionally times where he would just be an asshole to me Mm -hmm. or be really controlling and demanding. And there were some people who were like, ooh, you, you don't deserve to be treated like that. So, I mean, other people, like he, he wasn't a complete gentle gentleman or I don't really like that term. He wasn't completely respectful. Yeah. <laughs> but he wasn't to me. physically violent yeah. in front of people. No. And definitely there were times though when we were living with his family that it got really really bad. Just not in front of them. Yeah. And like I mean I remember once we had actually friends over we, I don't know, we're kind of having a little bit of a party. And he specifically dragged me out back to the pool area and slapped me. Like, he dragged me out so that we weren't in front of everybody else. Wow. Just so that he could hit me. So when people say it's like this momentary loss of control, like, oh. you don't buy that. No. And, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, all this was happening, and if I had asked myself, like and paid attention to when he hit me, then I would have been able to, you know, realize that for myself. But mm-hmm. that was one of my excuses for him, was that he just lost control of himself. Because that was one of his excuses for himself, that he just needed anger management. Right. But he was perfectly capable of harnessing that anger in front of his family. Yeah. And not flipping out and acting like a psycho yeah. in front of people. Yeah. Which we talked about on that myth. Yeah episode with Lundy Bancroft talks about how yeah. it's not like an anger management rageaholic problem. So you would you would say thumbs up to that. Yeah. Although although yeah, he I mean he would be rude to you, but he wasn't. Yeah. He also was really rude and and verbally abusive to service people. Like oh. at restaurants and stuff? Yeah, or oh gosh, I remember this one time we, I was so embarrassed. I felt so bad for this person. I think this is one of the reasons why now, if I feel like 
I have been rude mm. to somebody like who's in customer service or even like a government employee who, who was helping me like at the DMV or something. I don't know if they're a government employee. Somebody at the DMV. <laughs> they are. Um, and I feel like I have been rude to them. Then I try to apologize to them. Oh, <laughs> and I like feel one time you called back. Yeah, yeah. She did. that was recently. I remember that too. Because he would go off sometimes to the point where they were threatening to call security. Wow. Because he oh was gosh. being verbally abusive. He's being scary. Yeah. And he could be physically intimidating too. Like, I. One of the ways that I've described him to myself at least is that when he gets angry he becomes like an angry god like he just looks so powerful and physically huge even though he's not like he's I think he weighed like 155 and was six feet tall yeah you know he just could fill up an entire room with his anger Hmm. wow and his power, it seems yeah. like. Yeah, yeah. I just feel, I felt like he had, he could just suck all the power into himself from everywhere else. Wow. Um, so when you guys moved in together, out when you didn't have roommates, eventually, mm-hmm. is that when things escalated to become much more violent and scary than when you were living with family? <sighs> You said that, like, living with family seemed to be, like, a barrier to that a little bit. Yeah, I guess now that I think about it, like, there, so there were times when, like, he would be so physically abusive when we were living with his family that I couldn't believe that they didn't know. Like, they obviously knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, I had bruises. I, there was blood in the bathroom. Like, I had ringing in my ears um i i had a nose injury that was unrelated to the abuse and that took i mean it's it the continued abuse made it much more difficult for my nose to heal Mm -hmm. um and i mean nosebleeds they bleed a lot (laughs) so um It may not have been caused by him in the first place, but he definitely made it worse. He should have known what was going So he, yeah. he would hit you and, and you had visible bruising on yeah. your face. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember wearing, like, I, oh my gosh, I had, I still have this obsession today with, like, finding the best concealer. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> Which is so funny because you're, like, a real low-maintenance person. So I find it funny when you want to talk to me about makeup and concealer. <laughs> I also have that mission because I'm a mom. So were you <laughs> able to hide stuff with concealer? Yeah, uh, you, yeah I had those palettes that were basically, like, the movie makeup, like, prosthetic oh, yeah, concealers. Yeah. Like, the really thick stuff. Yeah, and the ones that had, like, the different colors, like, the yellow and the oh, purple. Yeah. And, I don't know, like to counterbalance the color color. of the bruises throughout the different seasons, as I call them. Right. Um, I mean, and this was a really hot, hot area. I'm talking in the summer, it will get 110 degrees. Mm. And so I would be wearing long sleeves sometimes, Mm. which when it's 110 degrees. That's awful. It's awful, and also that's kind of a warning People sign. Are like, what? <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it's definitely, it definitely, I mean, even in the winter, it's barely even, now that I live in Wyoming, I see yeah, this. Yeah, now it's freezing. <laughs> um, it's barely even sweater weather. Yeah. Much less scarf and, you know, yeah. high neck weather. So would you say that that was, like, the highest point of violence for you? Oh, no. No, because that was when we were living with his family. So then it wasn't until after we were alone together that he actually, I think, strangled me for the first time. And so I hadn't actually thought about that until now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it. I mean, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I think part of it was that he felt like I was more stuck with him. You know, like I had less, I was less likely to leave. And so he could get away with doing more. But that also, we did have more privacy for him to get away with stuff. So when we talk about the cycle of violence and how there's that tension building phase and then there's an incident, a violent incident that happens and then the honeymoon phase, how I learned about it was the honeymoon phase is A, all a part of the violence and B, eventually, that the more times that that cycle is completed, the less time it takes to complete to where the honeymoon phase is just gone. Mm-hmm. And it's just constant tension, violence, tension, violence. Is that what your experience was eventually with him? Yeah. I mean, I was... Because I remember, like, that first summer together, I... We did have more time in between, you know, the bad times. Yeah. And I wasn't, like, walking on eggshells or whatever. I, that wasn't the norm right. for us. And then... That next year, it was just worse and worse and worse. And I, it happened so gradually that I can't tell you, like, when it really started to become this thing where I was so careful of everything that I did and said so that it wouldn't cause him to be angry with me. Yeah. And I just felt like I was literally there to serve him. Mm-hmm. Even when you were living with his family. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then it just got worse when you guys moved out and lived yeah. together alone. Yeah, because, yep. And then it became highly, like, like lethality increased. Oh, the yeah. The strangulation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, today when there's, you know, somebody who's come in to receive services for domestic violence, and we talk to them, we ask them if they've been strangled, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, yeah, that's, you know happened more times than I can count like that's hard for us to hear right but then it's also hard for me to realize that I don't I don't even know how many times that he strangled me it happened it happened so all the time often. yeah and I I never passed out I mean I think that they were probably saw t- they were looking through my brain at the assessment or whatever <laughs> um I there were times when I saw spots and where I felt like I was about to pass out and he would stop another sign that he had control mm-hmm. yeah. over what he was doing. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it, you know, working with victims of domestic violence has been good for me. Like it helps me to realize more about my own victimization. What you went through. Yeah. But it's not, I don't know. I don't do it to help myself. Yeah. It's just a coincidence that it helps you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How many times did you try to leave him? Um, so I didn't try to leave him until um, that's, and it was the summer. So we met 
very beginning of 2009, and then it was the summer of 2011. So it was like two and a half years later that I really was like, okay, how do I leave this relationship? Mm -hmm. But I wasn't really ready. Um, There was one time, actually, I think I... No, that wasn't that time. I have the exact date of when I left him one time. Um, But there was one time that summer that I left him for two weeks. And I had never... Throughout this whole thing, I never reached out to victim services or an advocacy program. I was so privileged that my parents helped me financially because otherwise I literally would have had nowhere to go. Yeah. And so they paid for for me to have a, a room at a motel for two weeks. Wow. Um, and they were like, whatever you need to get away from this guy, although they did not know even a quarter of what was going on. They just knew that I wanted to leave it and that it was a turbulent relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and was that the last time you left or sometime in the middle? No, that was sometime that summer. I ended up going back to him. Um, it was it was really hard. I'd even gone on a date with another guy yeah. during that time. But going on that date made me miss Steven. Yeah. Like, I just wanted to be with him. And I wanted it to be how it was when we had first been together. Right. You just wanted to be with him and be safe with him mm-hmm. and not be beaten and strangled by him. Right. <laughs> yeah. Simple. I mean, that's a fair thing to want from a partner. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Your expectations might be high. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, I think also at that point, I really, I felt, I was so afraid that I would never find somebody that I would love as much as I loved him, and that nobody would ever love me like he loved me, which is a good thing. I don't ever want his type of love ever again. Yeah. Um, And he had always told me that I was his, that nobody would ever love me the way he does, yeah. that I would never, like, that nobody would ever want me, basically, that I would be alone for the rest of my life if I ever left him. And there is definitely a big part of me that believed that. And he always had also told me that there was something about me that made him hurt me that much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because according to him, he had only restrained his ex you know he had never hit anybody else Mm -hmm. and so there was there must that that meant that there was something about me there was something wrong with you yeah there was something wrong with me yeah and and I really believed that yeah and so it wasn't until I think it was September of 2011 so it was I don't know two years and nine months after we got together um and by this time, he cheated on me multiple times. <laughs> and I, that was actually one of the traumas that I had, you know, continued to struggle with from that. But um, he was kind of in a relationship with our neighbor. And it was to the point where I was okay with it because it took the pressure off of me yeah. to fulfill all of his needs because he even before the emotional or verbal abuse started so way in the beginning of our relationship he was very sexually abusive and I mean that wasn't a red flag for me yeah (laughs) because I 
I don't know. I, I probably have my own, you know, issues with that. But that definitely, I mean, he, that put a lot of pressure off of me right. when he had this other woman kind of taking care of his knees. And one night he had stayed up with our neighbor and it was a bunch of people over at their house or something. And I went to bed. It was like 10 o'clock or something. Sarkos, did he know that you knew about the neighbor? I don't think so. I think he likes to think that he's so smarter smart. yeah. than me. Real sneaky. But I also think that he wanted me to know, like he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't sneaky about it though. Mm-hmm. Like he, he didn't lied. Really care if you knew he didn't, but at the same time he lied to me about it. Hmm. Interesting. Like I think it was part of his, you know, control of my brain. Mm-hmm. You know that reinforcing that I couldn't trust myself. Right. But at the same time, I think he liked knowing that I couldn't do anything about it. Right. And the idea that it might hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Sorry. When, so they no, okay. have people over. It's like so. Yeah, they were partying or whatever. I get a call at like one in the morning, which by now I'm like used to being woken up in the middle of the night with his crap. Um, but I got a call from this woman woman's sister um the neighbor's sister saying that this woman and steven had been arrested because they had gotten like into steven had attacked this woman because she had said she'd called him a name or something and he had apparently launched himself at her and there ensued a physical altercation which ended with this woman out on the front lawn and he was kicking her repeatedly um, is what I was told and was what I remember. Um, I, I don't know this, it was eye opening for me and this was the last straw for me because this proved to me that his physical violence, his physical abuse was not because of me mm-hmm. because he had now done it to this yeah. other woman. Yeah. And it might have been happening the whole time with her. Yeah. I mean, he... Yeah. So, the next day, I got a call from the jail at, like, 5 in the morning from Stephen. He was asking me to come get him from the jail. And I did not answer. I just basically got everything that I needed at that time, and I left. And I found a different place to live. And... Previously, when I've left him, when he didn't have another girlfriend on the side, he had been very adamant about reaching me and finding me, like to what I would call now stalking. Mm -hmm. Like he was, he would not leave me alone until I agreed to talk to him just to hear him out. And he would try his best to find me wherever I was. Um, this time, and I think it's because he had this other woman at the time, he, he did try to get me to come back and I was still afraid that he was going to find me. Um, but he did not try as hard as previously. Like he gave up, he gave up pretty easily, which was a relief to me, but I felt like I was leaving this other woman with him and I... Liked her as a person, and I didn't think that anybody deserved to be in a relationship with him. 
Mm-hmm. And they ended up being together for like six years. Wow. Over five years they were together. And How long hard. total were you with him? Um, I think it was two years, nine months. Wow, so she stayed around. Yeah, she was, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And I, yeah, I, I struggled a long time with the fact that I felt like it, he only let me go because he had her. Yeah. Like, I had just kind of pawned him off on her in order so that I could get away. You kind of felt responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And after I left, I I talked with his ex, who told me more of the story about their relationship, and it was extremely physically abusive. She, oh man. And this is the mother this is, of yeah. his daughter. And it's so like, there were things that I had never told anybody, like how terrifying he was when stuck in a vehicle with him Mm. and we were and he was fighting like he would smash the dashboard so hard that it would shake the entire car he would threaten to open the door and like push me out or that he was going to jump out he if he was driving he would threaten to like drive the car into something or drive it off the road and, I mean, I'm, I'm actually surprised I don't have trauma related to, to cars. cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and this other woman was telling me, like, like hair pulling, too, was a big thing. And so she, she was telling me these things that he had done to her, and I had not told her anything about my experience with him other than he was physically violent or yeah. whatever. And so she was basically telling me my own experience and I was just like, Oh my gosh, why didn't you tell me this before? Like I was, (laughs) could have saved a lot of time. Yeah. I was pissed at her, but at the same time she was like, well, you wouldn't have believed me. And, and I may not have, and I don't think I would have, but at the same time I do feel like I would have left sooner than, than yeah. I did. Because you would have that whole, that bullshit about how there was something about you that made yeah. him angry and violent. Yeah. You would have known that wasn't true. Because mm-hmm. you knew his history then. So after I, I talked to her about that, I was like, well, I'm not going to make the same mistake that she did. Yeah. I'm going to message this other woman on yeah. Facebook and tell her everything that he did to me yeah. so that she knows that she's not alone and that she, she, there's nothing that special about her. I mean, she is special, but like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. With yeah. Her. There's nothing wrong with her. Yeah. And so I did that and I guess somehow either she told him that I had messaged this to her or he had found it in her Facebook because he then Steven messaged me and was like, leave us alone. Just leave us alone. Like, never talk to us again. And I was like, well, okay, I guess I... You did your best. I did my best, and maybe that'll help her sometime in the future. I hope she even saw it. I don't even know, you know, if she even saw it. Wow. I mean, I think that was really um, brave of you and amazing 
for you to, he goes to jail, at, you get a call at one in the morning that he's in jail for beating his neighbor on the lawn. And 5 a.m., he calls you asking, leaving you a message or asking you to come bail him out. And you're just like, no, I'm done. And you pack up your car and you get Louie and you're gone. And no, you never that back. is so you know? impressive. Like, that's really brave, Brett. I'd left like three or four times before that. You were just done. I was done at that point, though. Yeah. And I'm so glad that he was in jail. Oh, like, I'm so glad for that. Yeah. Like, we've talked about that in training, like at conferences and stuff, too, um, about how, like, that just that break. Like, it, even if the cops know that he's going to bond out in 12 hours, mm-hmm. like, yeah, just that just that break for her, for him to just have to sit in jail so that he can't stop her from leaving so that she can get gone. Mm-hmm. That's how a lot of women get out. In mm-hmm. our experience, it's yeah. just that quick break. Even then, I didn't want him, like, I didn't want anybody to ever know what he had done to me. Yeah. yeah. Like, I never wanted to press charges. So the police were never involved. Nope, no, not between us. I mean, wow. he. <laughs> so you never went to the hospital when he strangled you? Um, no, not when I, not when he strangled me. I did get checked out by a doctor once when he had hit me in the head, and I had problems with my eardrum. Okay. Um, and I still have issues to this day sometimes with that. But I never went to the hospital. Like I never went to the ER or anything. And you never wanted to. No, I never wanted to. I mean. Was that because you didn't want him to get in trouble or because you were afraid that that would just make it worse or you were embarrassed or all of that? I think, I mean, knowing what I know now about strangulation, I always suggest that people get checked out. Yeah. But since I had never passed out, Mm -hmm. I didn't think it, I honestly did not think that there was anything that had ever happened to me because of him that required me to go to the emergency room. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, even though I had, you know, bruises literally in the shape of his, like, fingers and hands, mm-hmm. like, that wasn't a broken bone, you know? Yeah. It would heal, and you didn't yeah. need medical intervention, you thought. Yeah. yeah. And I think also at that point, I might have been supporting myself, and so it was also the medical bills, too. Yeah. Gosh. That is a doozy. So, do you feel like working with survivors... A, that your experience makes you the advocate you are, and B, that it's helped you on your... I mean, you you were obviously pretty far removed from the relationship and had gone through a lot of your own healing when you came into this work, but do you feel that it's helped further that for you even more? Yeah, definitely. I luckily went through a, a lot of schooling before I came into this professionally, and I had started out just trying to understand why people are abusive. Mm-hmm. Little did I know, I just had to read Lundy Bancroft's books. <laughs> yeah. You could have saved thousands of dollars. <laughs> but I, I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in psychology with a minor in research and then ended up getting my master's in social work because I wanted to actually do something on the front lines to help people. And at that point, I wasn't even sure that I necessarily wanted to do advocacy. I just wanted to help people. And, but I think part of, well, part of the master's program was really getting in touch with um, myself and my own trauma and my own triggers. And so that we can better 
be able to help clients and not fall apart in front of them. Right. And also to be in touch with your emotions too, because emotions are a really useful tool. They're a necessary tool when working with clients. And so that was actually my problem going into the, the MSW program was that I had been shut down basically emotionally since 2011. Yeah. Because I mean, can can you blame you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just on like auto, not necessarily autopilot, but like I my I was very focused on my education. Yeah. And I'd had one relationship that was, you know, that kind of stuck out where I did have a lot of emotion. I did have a lot of healing in that, but other than that, it was I was very disconnected from my emotions, and my professors noticed that. Yeah. (laughs) And so I did a lot of therapy in that first year of the MSW program. And I, I mean, I can't even say how thankful I am for those therapists because it was multiple therapists at the same time, which is not necessarily something that everybody does. Right. Um, but I worked through a lot and I was also in a new relationship at that time. And so a lot of things were coming up that hadn't before trauma from, you know, the abusive relationship, like a lot of it stayed, you know, below my radar. Right. Because it's relationship trauma. Yep. And so it wasn't, it's, it was never until I was in another relationship right. that a lot of this stuff would bubble up and I would start having nightmares. And also I was struggling with expressing my trauma in a way that was healthy Yeah. within those relationships as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, I have a question and I know we're almost out of time. So, um, having the experience that you have and going through what you have gone through, what would you say to people who are trying to understand domestic violence? Um, Don't read too much into the new federal definition. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because, and that's something that has hit me hard. Well, yeah, actually, I, I bet a lot of people that are listening don't know this yet, but in a very sneaky way, um, the definition of domestic violence was changed at a federal level. And so do you want to talk more about what that might be? Yeah. So previously in the Obama administration, it was a much broader definition that included other forms of abuse than physical violence in addition to physical violence. So it was like verbal, psychological, emotional, financial abuse. Um, Now it has been changed at the federal level to just physical violence that meets the criteria for like domestic violence. Misdemeanor or felony crime. Yeah. And so, and we're not yet sure how that impacts us like as a program, as far as the delivery of our services. But I know that as a survivor, that invalidates like pretty much all all of the abuse, almost all of the abuse that I got. Because, like I said, like those injuries, those physical injuries, all healed. I mean, I guess not some of them, not completely, but like I'm lucky enough to not be like disabled right. by any of them, and I did not die because of them. Although I did fear for my life, mm-hmm. but the things that I have struggled over the last six, seven years now 
to heal from is the psychological, verbal, emotional abuse. And those are really the scars, I think, that have been left for me. And I know that that's what a lot of other survivors have said. And I'm not, like, there's also plenty of survivors that do have physical damage as well that lasts them a lifetime. And people have lost their lives. Um, So I'm not trying to invalidate, you know, the real threat of physical violence. But I think the definition needs to encompass all those things. Yeah. And for me, the whole reason why I stayed as long as I did was because he had essentially brainwashed me into believing that he was my only option for love and a relationship. And I wanted, and I just remembered the person that I had fallen in love with. And I really believed that he was in there somewhere. But really, that was the con. Wow. That was beautiful. That whole last... I want to go back and listen to it again and again. That was the con. Well, you probably will listen to it again and again. Over and over on repeat. Wow. You are really inspiring. You are. We love you. I want to leave it with one funny thing. Okay. Because I feel like you guys talked a lot about how I'm hilarious. Yes, you are. And none of that was hilarious. No, it's not funny. Again, we talk about how, like, domestic violence and gender-based violence is never funny. But it's impossible to find any, Mm -hmm. anything. It's really hard to hear someone you love talk about their situation like that. It's it's really, it was hard for us with the stalking story. And it's hard now because we love, we're with Brittany all day, every day. We're with Brittany more than we're with anyone else. Anyone else. Yeah. So, and I think I'm sad. I wonder if you guys listening to this feel differently about it too, but it's way different reading an article and having this reported on versus sitting right here, right next to her, tell this story. And I wonder if it's different hearing someone in real life tell the story but it is absolutely different sitting with a survivor and having them tell you her story having her tell you the horror she went through is completely different than reading about it in a magazine or a newspaper and i would argue that people's feelings about toxic masculinity gender-based violence all these issues that we see would be much different if they sat in hospitals and saw bruises and talk to women like Brittany every day of their lives like we do like this work changes you yeah so it's good to hear from her I agree and I I hope a lot of that came through your speakers um yeah we talk we've talked several times before at least a couple on the podcast about how important and inspiring survivor advocacy is Mm -hmm. and I just am so inspired yeah Sitting right next to you. Yeah, you're a great advocate, Britt. I'm really grateful to have had this opportunity. It's like, it's been a dream of mine. I'm not, I mean, it's taken me a while to get to the point where I want to talk about it publicly. Right. So I was really happy when you guys started this podcast (laughs) because I've basically been using you. Oh. Okay. Oh, wait, you want to do something? Oh, funny, funny. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) I think I've mentioned my dog, Louie, already. Um, but she's a very, very good judge of character. And it was sometime in the summer when I got her, but 
she we left her alone in the place that we were living. We came back and she had pooped on Steven's pillow. <laughs> <laughs> and what trying, happened? I mean, was he mad? He was pissed. <laughs> and I was trying so hard to not get beat because I was laughing. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't walk in this. No. I felt like he would really be angry at her too, yeah. and I didn't want her to, to get, get hurt, hurt either. Yeah. So, oh, oh, we love you so much. She's with us, right? And yeah. If you heard growls and mumbling, mumbling, it was Louie, not That's one right. of us. <laughs> she's out of the whole girl. time. Well, girl. just to close us off, um, do you have maybe tweet version 140 characters or less? Although they did change that, so now you can do whatever. One sentence, survivor to survivor. If anyone is out there listening that might be in a violent or scary relationship, take it from Brittany. One little message. You are not alone. That's it. Yeah, that was it, except for it, like, dropped like a microphone, and now I've got tears in my eyes. (laughs) Yeah, I I just hate that everybody who goes through this thinks that they're the only one and that nobody else is going to understand which I mean I think a lot of people don't understand but a lot more do want to help and support and the biggest barrier to receiving that help and support is just not reaching out and the perpetrators of abuse do everything in their power to make sure that that their victims think that they are alone. And I just want them to know that they're not. You're right. So if you'd like help, you can always reach out to Safe Project and talk to an advocate that is or is like Brittany. Um, we're not all as good as Brittany, but she's pretty amazing. She's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> so give her a hotline number a call. 745-3556. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right. babe. We got Anytime, you. Anytime, we got you. And thank you, Brittany, for being on our podcast. And if you have any questions about maybe what Brittany went through or about what you're going through or want to share your story, um, reach out. Outreach at safeproject.org. Bye. Do you want to say goodbye, Brittany? So rude. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>